Yes. Anyone in the tech industry who has an MBA will tell you it's very useful. Everyone in the industry who doesn't have an MBA will tell you that it's a waste of time and you would learn more. Um, And I actually like, I don't think that's really about the MBA. I think that's about people have different styles of learning. Welcome to the MBA Jam podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of the MBA Jam. Avinash over here. Today, we have a really popular guest with us. She almost has celebrity status in the field of product management. Today, we're talking to Ellen Chisha. I first contacted Ellen when I was preparing to give a workshop on product management to some MBA students at Imperial College London. That's when I discovered Ellen is almost an expert in delivering such workshops to students. Ellen is currently the VP of product at Lola, a mobile travel concierge company. She has previously worked as product manager at Kickstarter and Microsoft. Besides that, as mentioned earlier, Ellen regularly teaches product management at universities and at General Assembly. But more interestingly, which is why I've invited Ellen to the show, is because Ellen started her MBA at Harvard Business School, but decided to not continue with the course, but rather go back into the industry after one year of business school. From what I could gather, it was only when Alan went back to school, she realized that tinkering gave her a lot more joy than being in the classroom. After her first year at Harvard, she spent the summer working at a company called Blade, a consumer tech incubator. That is when Alan uh, turned attention to Lola, where she's currently the VP of product. We'll find out more about uh, her thought process later down the show. Alan, great pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Ellen, besides what I mentioned um, briefly about you, how would you like to describe your journey so far? Yeah, I think that was that was really accurate. I guess when I think about it, I've really been trying to round out my skill set in product management, and I care a lot about the product discipline, especially since it's one that we don't have very much formal education for. And so through my career, I started building that with a perspective on engineering, and then I added design thinking to that, and I thought that really helped me build good products, but I was really inspired to do the MBA because I wanted to be thinking about how to capture value in addition to creating it. Right, right. So how has your career transition been um, in, in very briefly? So, so what did you do your undergraduate in, and what kind of companies do you work in, and what capacity did you work in, and how, how did that go about? Yeah. Uh, so I did my undergraduate in electrical and computer engineering, and I did that at a tiny engineering school in Massachusetts called the Franklin W. Olin School of Engineering. And the philosophy Olin really had was that engineering was best taught in a project-based setting. And so that was really what got me the exposure to doing a lot of technical projects, which which really requires a lot of coordination to keep them together. And it's not just about building things, it's about deciding what you're going to build and why. And so while I was at Olin, I actually left for a year and did a startup with five of my friends. And what we really learned by doing that is sort of there's an art to shipping software and building the right things. And by talking to people and exploring things in the industry, I realized that that role was often called product management, sometimes called program management. And so what I did after finishing my degree in electrical and computer engineering was I went to Microsoft as a program manager. And the role there is very much around what features should we be building for the customer and how do we go about getting those features built. Then, mm-hmm. then while I was at Microsoft, in my free time, I was working with an organization called the Awesome Foundation, which gave grants of $1,000 every month to a cool idea. And I found that one of the things that was really inspiring for me was helping people to make things. 
And I was kind of curious of how could I combine my software product management experience and helping people make things. And my answer to that was I really wanted to work at Kickstarter, the company. So then I moved to New York City and worked at Kickstarter specifically on the experience for backers or the people who are supporting creative projects by giving them money. And so while I was at Kickstarter, that was really when I started feeling like, oh, I wish I could add this other layer of of thinking in terms of how do you capture value and not just create value. One of the things I liked about Kickstarter was the incentives were really well aligned. Kickstarter uh, takes 5% of successfully funded projects, which means if a creator is able to use the platform to achieve what they want to mm-hmm. achieve, Kickstarter also makes money through that. And so I wanted to think more about business models like that and how to do have a business model that works really well. Um, and Kickstarter actually is now a B corporation, so they really care about doing well in addition to to being a company. Um, and so that was what made me decide to go to HBS. I'd actually applied to HBS while I was an undergrad through a program they'd started called the 2 plus 2. But what really made the decision for me was wanting that lens of how to capture value in addition to creating it. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So how was your you know, initial time at HBS? And what, what was your expectation going in? And what was reality like? Yeah, I think um, so when I went, HBS they've shifted this a little bit now, but I think a lot of business schools have this where if you didn't start in one of the core industries that go to business school, so consulting or finance, they'll often have you take an analytics class. And so coming from an engineering background, it wasn't really the math that was a challenge, but it was sort of how do you think about accounting? How are you starting to to think through these business scenarios? And for me, the most challenging part of that program was they actually had us scheduled for like 14 hours a day where we'd start doing something at eight in the morning and then there would be group work time until 10 o'clock at night. And for me, that was just a ton of time to be with other people. I'm an engineer by training. I'm an introvert. And that was a big cultural shock for me going to HBS, where most people are extroverted and really gained energy from being around classmates all the time. You're, you're an introvert. I mean, that doesn't really uh, come across <laughs> uh, based on the fact that, you know, you actually teach uh, and you actually, you know, write and, and talk a lot about uh, this particular area. Uh, I would I would never guess that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a lot about energy management <laughs> uh, and writing obviously is a nice way to scale because you can write a piece once by yourself in a room and then other people can benefit and then you can discuss the ideas in it with them at different times. But yeah, I'm, I'm very introverted and I think that was probably the most challenging part of HBS for me. Yeah, very, very interesting. To be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm also a massive introvert and that's why even recording this podcast is really going out of my own comfort zone. <laughs> Well, that's good you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, so, so how was the decision in terms of not continuing with Harvard? What, what, what was the thought process behind it? And I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been a very easy decision for you. Yeah. So one of, one of the nice things that HBS does do is they will let you take a leave of absence. And that's not the same across all business schools. But at HBS, when you decide to leave to pursue something, assuming you're on good academic terms and you have this all worked out with the school, um, you have the option to go back at some point. And so that's definitely, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who's done it, but they've had many MBA students who had an opportunity that they, they couldn't pass up, left and then came back within the window that they were allowed to based on the terms of their leave. Um, and so that's what I did. Like, I'm still on, on good terms. I check in with people over at HBS periodically. I helped organize a panel earlier this year for one of their summits. Um, so the decision because of that was a little bit easier just because it wasn't a, a final, I can never go back. And so what it really was for me was I'd been at Blade and the project I'd been working on 
was what was becoming Lola. And it's, it's rare in a product management job to get to be employee number one, because almost everyone hires like an engineer or a salesperson or a support person. And so it was sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity to be there from the beginning, have seen the full story and still get to grow into a product leadership role. I see. And, I see. Sorry, go on. Oh, and then I guess I just worried that since startups grow so quickly, that if I'd gone back to HBS by the time I graduated nine months later, the company would look totally different. And that was definitely true. I think nine months later, we had 40 employees already. So very different from being the first person there. I see. I see. Interesting. So so what you're saying is it was a combination of a few factors. It wasn't that, you know, you, you realized that HPS is probably not, um, you know, according to your expectation and you were actively looking for something and you came across uh, Blade or Lola, but actually it just turned out that the opportunity that in front of you was too good to miss as opposed to, you know, not wanting to actively pursue HPS at the moment. Right, exactly. Okay, fair enough. Actually, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm also really curious. How come that you know a product person was, you know, very, uh, you know, someone who was very early on in a company? Uh, I, I work in product management. I know a lot of other people who do as well. And you're quite right. It is very rare. So what what actually inspired uh, the founder to actually, you know, start with a product person instead of starting with typically an engineer or or maybe even a salesperson? Yeah, I think that was just the nature of the fact that we were an incubator. So when I started, my title wasn't product manager, it was CEO intern. And I, I worked on the project by myself. And so in many ways, my role overlapped very strongly with what a founder would usually do. And typically, that's why founders don't hire product people as the founder is doing the product role themselves. Yeah. I see. I see. Very interesting. So, so that's why it, it was it was a quite an atypical case to begin with. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. How how is it going with Lola right now? Yeah, I guess that's big news. Uh, since we scheduled, I'm actually I left Lola as of the oh. uh, two weeks ago. It hasn't been very long. Um, I haven't I haven't really announced it yet. Um, and that's because I am working on my own startup now, which was really why I had been in an incubator being a summer CEO intern is I knew I'd wanted to start my own company and I hadn't been planning on leaving Lola at all. I'm really excited about the team and what they're doing, but I just happened to meet a co-founder and he'd already started working on something that really resonated with, with my view of what I wanted to be working on. And we started working together on this project on the side and that really worked out. And so we're pursuing that. I see. I see. Yeah, that that is really interesting news. Yeah. So maybe maybe I have to go and go back and edit my intro. <laughs> so uh, okay. when are you planning to? Um, you know, is it is it okay if this goes live with the podcast at some point of time? Do you want to hold on until a particular date before this? No, no, it's, yeah. it's it's okay. It's not that secret. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So so that's really interesting. Um, are you are you uh, you know in a position to disclose what exactly you're working on at the moment? Um, I can't fully say, but I can say so. We're we're looking at the developer tool space and how to make it substantially easier to make software. I see. I see. Very very interesting. So you said you have started with another co-founder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, right now it's just two of you. It's just the two of us right now. Yeah. So he's the CTO and I'm the CEO. Nice, nice. Very interesting. Yeah, we'll be really looking forward to hearing more about it. And um, maybe at some point of time, I'll just go and include those links with the podcast uh, episode so that, you know, people can look back and maybe revisit this. 
interesting interesting so so was was that always you know something that you wanted something that excites you the most in terms of you know starting your own company or or starting something you know with your own idea as opposed to working in another company i know the vpo product and executive position is really good in the companies but is that what gives you the most motivation just trying to understand was that always the grand vision or grand plan for you yeah that was i that was always the grand vision i think a lot of people who've met me i've i've talked to people since i started this new thing who are like oh yeah i was just waiting for you to do something like that <laughs> it's it was pretty understood <laughs> I see. Interesting. How did you come about the idea of whatever you're working on right now? Uh, so my co-founder actually started working on it first, and he'd undergone a pretty robust co-founder search to try to find the right person to work on this idea with him. And so I had a good idea of what types of people that I work well with because I'd been thinking about starting something, and so I'd been considering who would who would make a good complement for me. And it just it just happened to be the right person in the right space. I see. I see. Very interesting. So, you know, wherever you are right now, you know, what experience of yours in the past has contributed the most to where you are right now? Is it is it your undergraduate degree or is it the product management rules you've done across the different companies or, or maybe even is it is it the one year of time you spent at a business school? I'm pretty sure it, it may not be a very scientific way of, you know, understanding what exactly contributed. But according to you, what, what has largely led to your skill sets to where you are right now? Yeah, I think that would definitely be where I went to undergrad. And I wouldn't say that it's about the electrical and computer engineering degree. I would say it's really about the learning philosophy that Olin has and supports. And that was sort of, there were a bunch of pieces of it, but one was the idea of spiral-based learning, which is doing the same type of project over and over again. And so the first time you do it, you don't really know what's going on and you mess it up pretty badly. And then you do it again, but you know a little bit more and you get a little bit better and sort of adding these layers to your learning over time. Another one was the the user-centered design philosophy of you should always be making things for other people and you should be thinking through the repercussions of what you make. And then I think probably the biggest part of it was just, just the idea of the growth mindset, um, which Carol Dweck from Stanford has a really great book on, but just the idea that your knowledge base or what you're good or bad at isn't fixed. It's that you can continually be adding adding to your skill sets. I see. I see. So even back in the days, I mean, uh, even even Olin uh, had a kind of a culture around design and around user-centered experience. I mean, we hear all that in product management very often, but I never realized that universities also tend to focus on that uh, at some point of time. Yeah, I think it's it's uncommon and becoming more common, but that was a big part of the Olin curriculum. I see. I see. Very interesting. Olin also has, has got a good uh, business school, I believe. Did you ever consider going back to Olin? Um, so the Olin business school is actually at Babson. And so there's, there's two different Olin foundations, um, one of which builds mostly engineering buildings and one of which builds mostly business buildings. And so the engineering buildings, their foundation when they basically got down to their last $300 million of endowment and decided instead of building more buildings, they'd rather try to build a college from scratch. And so that was how old the engineering school came about. Um, so they aren't actually affiliated despite having the same name. I see. I see. I see. So now that you're actually taking a leave of absence from, from Harvard Business School at the moment, do you have you know some kind of milestones in mind saying, look, when I hit that, then maybe I will consider going back? Or do you have some kind of thought process 
that that helps you understand you know what parameters should i measure up to to go up to to go back to school or is it is it completely flexible what are you, what's your thoughts on that um i think it's it's pretty flexible i think it's just about doing the right thing at the right time and so for me i like originally i thought that i would go back when i'd figured out sort of Oh, either if Lola, there was a reason for me to be transitioning out of Lola, um, or if I was like, I knew I wanted to start something, I wanted some time to incubate and think about it, um, that sort of thing. And I think it'll really like, I would really like to go back and finish. I think I, I really enjoyed the experience, introversion aside. Um, and I like the formal learning and the classroom environment. Um, so it will just it, hopefully the timing will work out for that. I see. I see. Very interesting. So, you know, compared to Harvard Business School, I'm pretty sure you must have seen, um, did you, do you ever consider other schools, maybe, uh, you know, closer to the tech industry like Stanford uh, or along those lines? Um, I thought about it. I never ended up applying to any of them. I think for me, the point of going to business school was to really understand what business school was and understand the mindset. And I think um, if I wanted to be closer to tech, like I already worked in tech, I didn't think I was going to get that much out of talking specifically about a management program that was thinking only about tech. I was more interested in kind of the the broader theory and all of the in-depth research that happens at HBS and the breadth of cases they have. Uh, so sort of, but not really. I think the only thing I considered seriously was in SAD because I was excited about the fact that it was only one year, which seemed like a really good investment in time. And I was interested in the international aspect. Mm-hmm. Did you consider applying then to INSEAD? Uh, no. I think I thought, well, I guess I considered applying, but then I did not. I see. I see. Very interesting. Um, okay, switching gears a little bit. I mean, so so why why teaching? Why what What motivates you to go back and, you know, try and teach students or try and teach at, you know, uh, General Assembly or something like that? Why Why teaching? Uh, I think two things. I think selfishly teaching really helps people learn. Um, I think when you have to teach a concept, you have to really deeply understand it and be able to ask questions about it in a way that you don't need to understand it otherwise. So I think it helps you really examine your assumptions and why you're working the way you're working. Um, I think less selfishly, I've always felt like a lot of people helped me to get to where I am and have taught me things. And I think it's it's a good way to get involved with the community and help other people do this type of work. And then in particular, like, I just, I really love doing product. I think it's a really wonderful job. And I think a lot of people don't know about it or don't know how to get into it. And so I want to make that available to people. I see. I see. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I think I think product is a really exciting, uh, exciting field. And, and I completely agree with you that, um, you know, it, it actually helps contribute back to, to people who want to learn more. And um I'm I'm pretty sure uh, you know it's it's very different in the US in the UK is actually very different I think it's newer in a sense um so it actually brings a lot more challenges in the US I guess by now there is a certain established understanding of what product management is and isn't right w- w- do you do you have any thoughts on that uh, I think it depends on who you talk to. Definitely when I was getting started out, product managers would constantly be telling me like, oh, there's no average day. You don't know what you do. And I I don't think that's true. I think we have more understanding than that. I think people tend to downplay it a little bit because it's, uh, I don't know, I think people just tend to downplay some of the skill sets that go into it or they think it's not worth talking about when it is. Um, I do feel like at the end of the day, the definition I always go back to that I like the best is the one Josh Elman posited on Medium, which was, 
the product manager's job is to help your team and the company ship the right product to your users. And so anything that helps you get that done is part of the role of a product manager. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So from what I can gather, you know, you've always been involved in multiple things uh, at the same time, uh, like juggling juggling quite a few things. What's your prioritization, uh, you know, structure or methodology? How do you manage to do more than one thing at the same time? Uh, I feel bad giving this answer because it does not help literally anyone other than me. But I just, I usually work on whatever seems right to work on in the moment. And I found that when I'm motivated to do something, I have extremely high throughput. And so what works for me is, is balancing that and making sure I'm working on projects when I have the right energy level to be working on them. Right, right. Very interesting. Sorry. I think it helps that I have a good memory. And so I don't tend to drop the ball on things. Although I will say, I've definitely felt like since starting this new company, it's like I don't have enough RAM in my brain. And so sometimes I feel like there's things that I forget that I wouldn't have forgotten before. And that's been very frustrating to me. So I think I'm going to have to figure out a new management system. (laughs) Interesting, interesting. Uh, Yesterday I was actually uh, interviewing uh, Richard, who's the CTO of Sazam, on the same concept because even he's involved in a lot of things. He's a CTO and he also teaches at Cambridge and he also does he, he plays music in london clubs <laughs> um in jazz clubs so very interesting structure those are very so, different things yeah <laughs> those are very very different things um and and to be honest he, he mentioned some very relevant points you know the fact that uh, at some point of time he felt that he was lagging behind the curve you know compared to concepts like machine learning and ai and then he figured that that just that's just the right thing to do at the moment so he just picked it up again <laughs> That makes sense. Interesting, interesting. So, I mean, coming coming a little bit back to MBA or, or to Harvard, uh, if, if you had to give any kind of, you know, top tips to someone who's considering doing an MBA, uh, first of all, considering doing an MBA, and then second of all, MBA at Harvard specifically, what kind of, uh, you know, tips would you want to give? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the big one I come back to is to really understand why you want to do the MBA. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I should do an MBA to get to the next step in my career. But I think you should kind of have it nailed down more specifically than that. So think about what skill do I think an MBA is going to help me build? Or what thing do I think an MBA will enable me to do that I'm not going to be able to do now? And I think sometimes that does end up being like, oh, my boss won't promote me with an MBA because that's the qualification people want in my industry. But I think more often than not, you'll get more out of the MBA if you go in with an idea of what you're trying to do. I see. I see. So, and and what about uh, at Harvard specifically? Um, at Harvard specifically, I guess this is this is weird introvert advice, but a friend gave it to me when I was starting, is that early on everyone's talking to everyone else and wants to be best friends and everything's new and exciting, um, and that can be really challenging if you're an introvert or if you're used to having fewer deeper relationships rather than ninety new pseudo best friends. Um, And so the advice she gave me was to not worry about it too much and not worry about like if anyone was meeting my bar for what a close friend meant and instead just sort of soak it up and let it happen and not to worry about that until March or so. And that by March, you would have had enough time with people to really get to know them. I see. 
I see. There's, there's one thing I'm always really curious, you know, how do business schools keep up with the times of, you know, how technology, technological companies are moving? Because one complaint that I sometimes have is, you know, the, the case studies in business schools are so old, they're 30, 40 years old. It's not like we're studying case studies of Airbnbs and Ubers. So uh, how, how, how does it work in Harvard? Um, you know, what's what has been your experience in that one year uh, is the curriculum and is the structure keeping up with the times of what's relevant at the moment uh, I think the nice thing uh, about Harvard is I think they try to do a good job of having a lot of generally relevant knowledge like there's still cases that people do from a really long time ago it's like a, a famous one is the Tylenol case with the recall from I think the 80s um, but I think they do also try to update and include new material. I think one professor at HBS that does a really great job of that is Tom Eisenman, who's pioneered a bunch of new classes there, including the PM class. Um, another person there who does a lot of interesting things with technology is Jeff Buskang, who's also a partner at Flybridge Capital, but then teaches a class on technological ventures in particular. And so I think it's one of those things where, sure, it's not that every single thing you do is going to be about technology, but there's definitely people you can seek out who are interesting in those spaces. Um, I think the only caveat I would have is that in my perspective on how the technology industry is going to go, I think it's going to be that technology is a core part of every business and that it's not just going to be like you have an IT team that sits off over there. It's going to be that software is relatively integrated into what everyone is doing all the time. And so given that, I think there, there aren't maybe enough cases yet about how large businesses think about integrating those technology teams and how we think of this as not being a high-tech industry, but high-tech enabling everything else we do in every other industry. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's a really good, really good point. Today I'd gone to the Startup Grind uh, conference and someone mentioned that uh, surprisingly or unsurprisingly, GE and Capital One have more software engineers than Google or Facebook. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. And like you think of GE as being a CPG company for the most part, I guess, or I think of light bulbs and stuff, but or medical devices. Uh, but there are, there's so much software going on at all of those places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It becomes it becomes almost the core um, culture uh, of of the companies as opposed to just you know like the IT department as you mentioned. Right. Exactly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, I'm I'm trying to see if there are any other insights we can get out of your experience, um, you know, in 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 Harvard and uh, your experience of the MBA. Uh, what about in terms of the classmates or in terms of your peers? Um, you know, what kind of uh, expectations did they come in? Because I was reading somewhere where you were you were describing that you're not a typical you know HBS student because most of them were all about networking and that wasn't exactly for you. Um, yeah, what light can you shed on that in terms of, you know, how are the different classmates that actually did come into your curriculum and into your class? Yeah, I think that was actually something, having had more time to reflect on it now, I think there are a lot of different communication styles. And I think everyone at HBS is very friendly and very effusive and very outgoing. And I think coming from an environment where I'd been mostly around introverted people, like a lot of engineers are introverts and sort of people are more apt to communicate about like, I'm working on this problem. Can you help me think about this problem rather than just communicating and be like, Hey, how are you? How's it going? What's up? Like, uh, I think that was a challenge for me. And I think I had to adjust to that communication style. And I think 
at first I had a hard time with that and it felt disingenuous to me until I realized that even though it felt disingenuous to me, because it would be disingenuous for me to do that, or it would be disingenuous to see that if many of the peers I'd worked with before, it was actually very authentic for the people who did interact in that way. And that I, I needed to understand that and adjust. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That's not, that's not the point, you know, which I tend to try and draw out of uh, my, my conversation with the guests over here. Uh, recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Marty Kagan had come down to Imperial College for a brief talk. And that's a question I asked him as well. So, you know, MBAs don't really necessarily have the best reputation <laughs> uh, in, in the tech uh, industry, uh, probably after, um, you know, some, some discussions going on with, with where Ben Horowitz had mentioned a little bit in terms of his book. What are your thoughts on that? Um, have you encountered any strong opinions towards, for or against, you know, MBAs in, in the tech industry especially? Uh, yes. Anyone in the tech industry who has an MBA will tell you it's very useful. Everyone in the industry who doesn't have an MBA will tell you that it's a waste of time and you would learn more. <laughs> um, and I actually, like, I don't think that's really about the MBA. I think that's about people have different styles of learning. And I think some people learn really well in a classroom and learn by having like a lot of forced education on a particular set of topics and having new information to weave together. And I think other people learn very well by doing. And I don't think there's anything better or worse about one particular learning style. I think we're all going to have to go through both of them at different points. Um, and so again, I really think it's about why did you do the MBA? What were you hoping to get out of it? Did you get those things out of it more so than anything else? Yeah. Yeah, true, true. Because that that's what I generally uh, incline towards as well. I think it's about the attitude. I think it's about, um, you know, how you structure your communication. And the only reason MBA sometimes can wrap is because of the communication being too, um, you know, too formal and too executive style sometimes as opposed to very collaborative style. I, I, I guess I guess product management is something that could have helped you on those lines, right? Because it almost requires you to try and empathize with the the user or in a sense empathize with the stakeholders involved as opposed to, you know, walking in like you own the place. <laughs> uh, which which traditionally a lot of MBAs have had some kind of reputation on. Yeah, that's true. And I guess, I guess that's also a thing that there's a lot of MBAs who are career switchers who were doing something totally different before. And I think that's a pretty big adjustment. Like there are definitely people in my HBS section, we did a case on Valve and how autonomous their, their work environments are. Uh, and people were just like, people would get anything done in that environment. Whereas coming from a software environment, you're like, no, no one ever really tells people what to do. They just show up and they do their job because they're motivated to do it. And so I think when you're when you're switching from an industry that might be more hierarchical or more structured, you might not quite have the right set of expectations going into a technology job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Ellen, what's what's next for you? Uh, well, I'm starting this company, so I think that'll be that'll be the next the next thing for quite a while. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Have you have you ever? Uh, uh, do, do you have uh, thoughts of going into the venture capital space at any point of time? Uh, the no. <laughs> so I, I actually I did consider it. That was the other thing I considered as my internship option when I was at HBS. And I talked to a lot of firms and I talked to a lot of people. And I just, I really love building things a lot. 
Um, and I think when I think about having to tell people, no, don't build that or no, I won't give you money to build that. That just seems really draining to me. I would much rather be on the side of being a product advisor and helping people think through what they want to do and figure out a way to get it done. Fair enough. Fair enough. Very cool. Um, and I think I think that's that's pretty much most of what I really wanted to cover. Just the last question which I would ask is, you know, is there anything that you wish I had asked you or is there anything that you would like to, you know, elaborate a little bit more on? A- anything? Uh no, I don't think so. That was a really comprehensive set of questions. Okay, great. Perfect, Ellen. So, you know, if, if someone wants to know more about you or if someone wants to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Uh, so people can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ellen Chiza, or my website is ellenchiza.com. And then I'm also at Ellen Chiza on Medium, which is where I put most of my writing. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I, I guess you're coming out with a book as well on Kickstarter where you're actually summarizing all the information on the essays that you've written on product management. Yeah, so I'm, I'm collecting all of the essays I've written so far into a book in an organized fashion and then also writing 10 new things. I've written about three of them so far and that'll be coming out in July, but it's also up for pre-order on my website. Yeah, absolutely. You do you do share a lot of stuff, you know, which is which is out there. In fact, I think that's how I came across you, where you shared the product management classroom structure, where you ran a course at Allen. Um, so thanks a lot for sharing a, a lot of great stuff. I I'm I'm pretty sure I blatantly copied a few few you know thoughts from there. <laughs> That's totally fine. That's what they're there for. And I mean, you're doing the same, but I'm hosting a podcast to help people figure things out. <laughs> Fair enough. Ellen, thanks a lot for your time today. Really appreciate it. I know it's the middle of the day for you and, and you're really busy in, in getting this startup um, you know, off the ground. So we really appreciate the time today. Great. Okay. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi again, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Before you go away, I have a special offer for you. For only five people, I'm offering a free consultation session on any questions you have regarding the MBA application and the MBA journey. As you know, I've spoken to several people regarding their MBA journeys. So if you have any questions, I'm more than happy to help you along this. It doesn't matter which phase you are in, whether you're in the research phase or discovery phase, or whether even you're asking yourself the question of whether such an MBA degree is even valuable for you at all. It doesn't matter. As I keep saying, you know, I'm running the show because I wish I had something like this when I was making my MBA decision. I did not. I had to learn the hard way. And as you've heard from a lot of our guests, many of them had to learn the hard way. I'm trying to see how I can add value to your decision making. If this sounds interesting to you, please email me at avinas at or just go to the website thembajam.com and contact me through that. Or you can even reach across me on Twitter. My handle is at Avinash Bajaj S. Very simple. As I said, this is just for five people. I wish I could do a lot more, but uh, because of my other time commitments, I want to start off simple. Anyway, thanks again for listening, folks. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The MBA Jam. Now it's time for you to take action. Head over to thembajam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources.